Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And this week we are talking about The Dagger in the Disc, um, the Lockwood & Co. short story by Jonathan Stroud, obviously, but also with the help of the readers of The Guardian. But before we get into it, I just have a couple of personal disclaimers. So I record in my spare room office situation, which is usually full of things, thus giving me a not terrible audio quality, but I've packed up Everything, Everything. Basically, basically, it's empty in here, and it's and very, very echoey. I hung, I hung up, up some blankets, some blankets to hopefully help, help, but my apologies for any crappy, crappy sound quality. quality. Though I do think, think the blankets have helped quite a bit. Oh, I thought you were in a cave. I didn't. I didn't. Know. Oh, thank you, thank yeah. you. No. Um, so the dagger and the desk, Lockwood and Co. are hired to stop a haunting at Saint Simeon's Academy for talented youngsters and uncover an embezzling veteran of World War One who died in the school. I think that is our most detailed summary. Yeah, I almost left it off at the where the clause starts, and I was like, I should like say the whole thing just in case anybody's not going to reread this particular short story but it is out there for free in written and audio format so like you should check it out i'll have links in the show notes if you've never encountered this story before it's a fun little fun little story yeah i just i also enjoy reading jonathan stroud's like he he write or at the beginning of the audio he sort of talked about the process and i don't know that was fun for anybody who doesn't know, like you said earlier, there's like a polling system that happened at five key points in the story. And it was kind of like a choose your own adventure thing. He also like ran the polls on Twitter simultaneously to the website and stuff. And so this was like in 2013 around Halloween time, just as a way to like his readers to interact with the whole thing and kind of choose the course of the story. And I've heard him talk in various interviews and stuff about when he was a child being a fan of um, there were these books from Puffin Publishing called Fighting Fantasy that were like game books, which are kind of like the choose your own adventure books. I don't know if you guys had those um, in Canada. I have read choose your own adventure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they're I mean, they're extremely popular. But then like game books are more like the what I read when I was a kid were these books by Joe Dever called Lone Wolf. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Those ones I have not, but I'm sure they existed here. Just... Yeah. So game books are like choose your own adventure, except you kind of have like a D&D stat sheet and you use dice. Oh, interesting. So you make choices, but sometimes you can't do what you want because like you don't have the stats to pull it off. Like you might not have the charisma to like talk a person out of something. And so it's like it devolves into like if your dice roll was this much, turn to page, blah, blah, blah. Um, or you'll like, you know, be fighting a monster and you get so injured that you die, <laughs> you know, like you lose all your HP. And so then you've lost the book. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. But uh, the, they have the same thing, these fighting fantasy books. And Jonathan Stroud was a big fan of them when he was a kid. And so I think they, you know, kind of have like an influence here in his uh, way of choosing to tell this story. I really liked it because um, reading the story, there was only one instance where I could tell. Mm -hmm. Where like I could feel like here's a list of choices, you know. Yeah. Um, and other than that, he worked it all in quite well. Yeah. And there's like a little bit at the end 
where Lockwood is kind of like, and I think it folds just fine into the story, but Lockwood is kind of like, and thank you, Lucy, for making all the right choices along the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that didn't even click in my brain, but you're right. That Yeah. I, I try to imagine him doing this now with like Lock Nation and Twitter out there and stuff. And I I feel like it would just get swarmed. There would be like a whole meta going on about oh, people. Oh, definitely. Like, yeah. <laughs> would be, Bun Church would be in there messing things up with his potatoes. It would, it would be bad. <laughs> it would be bad. I mean, it would be fun, but I don't know that we'd get a cohesive story or yeah. we would get like 10 different cohesive ish stories yeah but yeah what the finished product that you can go out and read or listen to is a coherent story it doesn't have all the branching paths and stuff but as we go along i've i've marked out what the choices could have been and we'll talk about those a little bit yeah alan did way more work than i did on this i just read it and marked the one place where i felt like i could i could feel the choices being made and he also said in the thing that he would Whatever the people chose, he would. That's what he would go with, even if it's not what he would have chose or like right. what he would prefer. So, and it to go back to those fighting fantasy books. That's kind of how it goes. Like I said, you would roll the dice, and you would be like, I mean, obviously, you don't. You could like quote unquote cheat, I guess, uh, and just pick whatever you want and not use dice and stuff like that. But if you're like playing the book the way that you're supposed to, you're like. Oh, I got to live or die by the by the way that this shakes out. And I don't know, like I read books like that when I was younger and it was kind of the first time for me that I was like, oh, this is kind of like how you could make a story. Like no one had ever really shown me like how to write a story or anything like that. And when you try to like write a story the way that you read a story, it's usually a really unsuccessful thing. And so thinking about stories this way as like, well, these are the different things that could happen. These are the different things that the characters want is just like a different, I don't know, a different paradigm that's like pretty interesting. It's a, I think this is a cool way to like show children that like, hey, you could make a story too, is kind of what I'm saying. Right. I gotcha. It's interesting because things like that and like Choose Your Own Adventure are my least favorite type of stories. Like I only ever read one Choose Your Own Adventure story when I was a kid and I never read any other ones because I don't like them. Uh, Mm -hmm. Specifically because it feels like it's not a real story. Like it it feels like the author didn't write an ending because there's like 10 different and I want the real one. Like what's the correct ending? Oh, interesting. So it's never felt like... Never felt satisfying as a story to me. Yeah, those you could tell in those Joe Dever books that I read that like here's the true ending because they were like a series too. That it was like here's the one true ending and here's like a thousand ways to fail. You know, like that's what oh, all the other interesting. endings are. I don't think I would like that either, but because I would just I wouldn't bother. I would just read the true ending. I know. That's what I was thinking when I was getting ready for this. I was like, Caitlin would never yeah. read these kind of books that I read like a hundred of. I think I read all of the Choose Your Own Adventure books. No. I read one because it had dinosaurs. Oh, okay. Was, yeah, I, know I was deep in my about. dinosaur era. Yeah. Um. So this, like the ebook for this only has one chapter, but mm-hmm. that does mean in the American edition, and I assume the British edition, we get some chapter art um, that makes zero sense. 
because it is a ghost among some trees. Oh, is uh, that what it? That's yeah, what it interesting. Looks like to me. So to me, this is like almost like a Rorschach test. To me, it's like uh, I was like, oh, this is a a woody marsh, and this is like the reflection of a ghost in the water, uh, which makes no sense. And I think what you said makes way more sense. But mine doesn't fit the story at all either. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, I wrote down the ghost amongst the trees thing. And then when I got to the library, I was like, maybe it was supposed to be a library. And I went back and I'm like, no, there's no way that's a library. <laughs> that no. is some trees. I think this is just some art. And then they were like, you know what I mean? Like, she had made a bunch of art. And they're like, just yeah, use maybe. She didn't make art for this. Bothers me, though. So this takes place between books one and two. Uh, which is why we're covering it here. And then we do find out like some time has passed since the end of book one. And we get mention of all these little cases that happened in between, which I really appreciate the case mm -hmm. of the floating fingers, stuff like that. That's fun, I think. And it, it like speaks to like, there's all kinds of adventures you don't even know about. And it gives a like, this is the most un-British thing I'm about to say, but it gives, like, Encyclopedia Brown feels with the case of this and the case of that. I don't oh, know. It harkens yeah. to my own childhood reading a little no, bit. No, that's a good call. You yeah. know, yeah, that's true now that you say that, because, like, that's not the way that the title, the yeah, titles we, work. Yeah. yeah. We don't ever hear them talk, like, in book four or whatever about the case of the Whispering Skull, you know? Right. Yeah. Not that they would ever refer to Skull with such respect, but you know. <laughs> uh, I, I do love that they mention the the hand in a jar because it really feels like with the hand in a jar and the skull in a jar, like eventually they're going to have a whole human body. <laughs> <laughs> I could, yeah, you could imagine some kind of clockwork homunculus of jars yeah. that are not oh, allowed God. to open. <laughs> George's finest creation. Uh, there's so I marked out the first joke of the of the book that I appreciated was the gender joke that happens up top here as Lockwood and Co is having breakfast, and then the bell rings at the front door, and Lockwood says, "Could be a client. Go see who it is, Lucy." I frowned. Why me? Well, I'm still in my pajamas, and George's face is covered in jam, and they were decent points. I couldn't argue with them. <laughs> Do. I feel so I'm I'm currently editing our episode of like part two of part four in the screaming staircase where it's just constant making fun of George. Yeah. Like creepy things happen and they make fun of George. That's all that happens. Right. So to have this up top with the whole face covered in jam thing, I'm like, yeah, par for the course. George is the comedy relief. I like that he's the comedy relief, like, for us, but also for them. Like, they use him to break up their own tension. You know what I mean? Like, their yeah. own. It's interesting. Poor George. And I love this old man at the door who seems genuinely shocked about seeing a ghost. <laughs> Despite yeah. living in London. He's like, you guys know ghosts are real. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's so good. Like, I can maybe see where and maybe Jonathan Stroud was like, people who haven't read the books are going to be reading this as like promotional material. So he, you know, you can see how he, but it, it's just hilarious from an in-world perspective that he's like, I saw a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> you could imagine Lockwood like blinking slowly. 
mm-hmm. controlling his face. And Lucy's just like, yeah, that's you're in the right place. This is what we do. Yeah, he does do a good job, though, of laying out like he tells the rules about like, these are the weapons that work. This is what a source is and talents are. And he does lay out all the rules really elegantly. It could be somebody's entree into the mm-hmm. world. Um. So then he tells us that he is the headmaster, I think, or right. whatever. He works at uh, St. Simeon's Academy for Talented Youngsters. And I have to assume that's not like talented youngsters. That's just smart kids. That's what I, yeah, I was going to ask you that. I was like, is this like Xavier's school for gifted children or is it like. The name gives that feel. Right. But this man has never seen a ghost before, apparently. So I, you know, I have to assume it's just for smart children. And yet the children do have like a psychical reaction Mm, to the ghost. Good point. I could see that like maybe most children will have low grade psychic sense like maybe they can't see ghosts but they could have like bad feelings it's just like oh there's something out there but i can't put my finger on it kind of and not be like talented enough to be useful to agencies per se or like night watch material the other possibility that i thought here and we don't there's no way to know the answer to these questions mm-hmm. uh is that these kids do have psychical powers but are like th- rich kids yeah that's <laughs> Yeah, like if it was a get a school of people who with talents, why would they have to hire outside of the school unless it was a bunch of rich kids who's a bunch of rich kids whose parents specifically want them kept out of the business? Yeah, that makes me suddenly think too that like in this world, rich kids would like you know how like fencing is kind of like a rich people thing. Yeah, for, for like competitive fencing and stuff like that. Not that like you know, non-rich people don't do it. But but it is, like, classically kind of a rich people thing. I'll bet you that in this world, like, rich people, like, fencing, they don't do that. Because it's like, Right, ugh. yeah. Because it's part of a job. <laughs> right. It's, like, a necessary thing now. So they're like, ugh, forget that. I don't polo do and only polo. <laughs> and fox hunting and things <laughs> like that. So I looked up to um, St. Simeon. I was like, is that a real saint? It is a real saint. Uh, who became a saint because he used to climb up to the top of pillars in Greek ruins and like hang out up there and be like, this is where I live now um, for Jesus. And then, and then people would like, you want to go see the crazy guy on the top of the pillar? And they would go there and then he would preach the gospel and people would be like, wow, and get converted. And so they made a saint out of him. He lived up there for like, over 30 years on the top of pillars is like eight slept. He just lived up there. Interesting. This is why I like doing podcasts with you because it it didn't even occur to me. Like I read the word St. Simeon and it's just the name of a school to me. It's not like maybe that was a real thing. (laughs) But then as soon as I looked this guy up, I was like, Oh, this guy. Cause I knew that this was like a thing for a long time. Like after he died, then there were like, dozens of these guys who would climb up they were like this is the way to do it this this is gonna get the word out when we climb up on top of pillars and then people were like over it they were like who cares there's like 17 christians up on pillars screaming about jesus it's like it's boring now but when one guy was doing it it was cool so i cannot imagine caring about anything that much (laughs) so then we the teacher headmaster i did not write down who this man is but anyways he tells the story of how 
once they renovated a library or built a new library, uh, there started the, the children of the school started noticing smells and sounds and clinking and and then a dagger was thrown into his room. Yeah, this is pretty crazy. It says like it smashed straight through the glass of the door, whizzed through the air and plunged deep into the side of my desk. A knife, Mr. Lockwood, a long, thin knife with an antique handle, which like when I read the title of this story, I was like the dagger in the desk. And I imagined like they open the drawer of a desk yep. and there be a dagger. Yep. And like, no, this dagger is in the desk like it was plunged into the desk at a distance because it missed killing the teacher. <laughs> and it is stuck there. He couldn't pull it out. <laughs> I, I do like that this guy, I, this also, um, I, I think is another mark in the column of these are rich kids, because he was immediately doing the responsible thing, shutting the school down, getting the kids out of there. Oh, true. Yeah, that's true. Which is very different than a lot of the adults that we see in the other books. They kind of debate about what could this be. And I have to say, like, it bothers me because they never do pin down what this thing is. Uh, and it bothers me. <laughs> like, what is this thing? Yeah, it does sort of feel like Jonathan Stroud made up a completely different type of ghost just for this story. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't think we ever see something that's not a poltergeist physically move things around and like throw stuff anywhere else. I was like, well, maybe he threw like like the dagger is a part of him, like it's ectoplasmic. But then if the guy touched it to try and pull it out of the desk, that yeah. should have ghost touched him. So that can't be true. And they also examine it. So I was like, what's going on? Because later he does have the dagger at the at the end of the story when he's like walking up on Lucy in the hallway. So I was just like, huh, this story just doesn't square with what we get of other ghosts, which is fine, whatever. But but it does bother like the George part of my brain that wants yeah. to categorize it. Um, Lockwood then does tell the uh, dude that they're going to be there that night. And in my brain, I'm like, no research. No planning? You're just going to go? Right. And George doesn't say anything? Okay. Yeah, because the article's got to get written in like two days or whatever. So they're moving in the story. It's not yeah. like we're going to take a minute to do research. No, we got to get to those uh, choices. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um. So yeah, they sort out equipment, they get ready, and they head down there. And I really, really love that they sort of pause outside the building uh, Lucy describes it for us, for the reader. And then George is like, that place is simply packed with ghosts. I can just tell. I feel like when you're walking around London, so many buildings just give off that feeling. <laughs> and I think this is where we come up with our first uh, voting opportunity. Where, <clears throat> uh, so they, they walk in, they have a quick moment where they kind of turn on their talents and examine things. And then Lockwood is like, all right, let's push on. Let's go straight to the classroom where the dagger is. And then George is like, no, no, no. We should set up a circle. You know, the Fitz manual says, blah, blah, blah. And then they kind of frown at each other. And then Lockwood is like, what do you think, Lucy? Right. Yeah. And this is why I really like this one, because I did not realize that this was a voting opportunity uh, beforehand, because this sounds like exactly something the three of them, like, this is what would happen. Yeah, all the moments of choice are, like, very in character. They don't feel forced to me. 
And even just Lockwood looking to Lucy for backup and then Lucy being, actually, I don't agree with either of you. Yeah, the third <laughs> option that makes more sense, actually. Yeah. Investigate the library. Yes. The way that this shook out in the poll was that 25% of the people said that they should do what George says and make an iron circle. 10% went with Lockwood and 64% went with Lucy. I like that Lucy is both the POV character, but also like really the protagonist in the story. She's really the one making the choices Mm -hmm. and that we get to like embody that as the people doing the poll. As we go through this thing, whatever Lockwood says is like the lowest voted things. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah, sounds about right. Um, I was, if anybody noticed that the math was off on uh, Alan's reading of the percentages, when he said 25%, he meant 26. Yeah, sorry. So they do decide to go to the library, obviously, because the public voted that way. As we, as they move up to the library, we get some like how ghosts work recap for those who haven't read the books there's another like mean joke to george here about uh a sound echoed in the darkness a deep harsh creaking instantly cut off i stopped short was that your stomach george he looked at me blankly was that my stomach i didn't hear anything yeah and then when she describes the noise he's like how could you possibly think that was me Yeah, And then she's like, your belly makes weird sounds when you're hungry. And he says, fair enough. More George abuse in the narrative. And like, we're laughing, but that's terrible. (laughs) Sure. It's it's mean. It is also just extremely fat phobic. This idea that Mm -hmm. because George is bigger, he his body makes noises that this two skinnier ones don't Mm -hmm. like that's just lies. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, skinny people have bodies yeah, that do weird things. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, it's terrible and I hate it. Yeah. But also I did laugh. So there <laughs> we go. Yep. Um, so they get to the library and it has been called the Ernest Potts Memorial Library. There is like a bust of Ernest Potts. He's got sideburns for days. Yeah. I just imagine Isaac Asimov. If you've ever seen like a picture of him, that's... You know, I don't think I have. Oh, okay. So imagine like someone with a huge beard, except it's all cut off, except for on the side of their face. And that's Isaac Asimov. And he is described as looking like a dreadful old grump. Isaac Asimov. (laughs) Uh, But the temperature does drop when they're in that area of the school, which is a sure sign of ghosts. George puts down an iron chain circle as he wanted to at the beginning, but he does it here in the library. And that makes sense to me. Libraries feel safe. As probably especially to George. Oh, yeah. This is good sense. And then Lucy hears something. Yeah. It says something struck the door on the outside, making the wood reverberate. It struck the wood again. Lockwood, I hissed. What do we do? And this what do we do is where the second poll choice in the story is. So, yes. What do we do is choice number two. Which is, which is stay inside the iron circle and wait to see what happens. Lob a salt bomb into the corridor or throw the door wide open and rush out and to attack the ghost. And these choices are not obvious within the narrative. Like, I don't think that these get laid out or anything. They're just, no. yeah, choices that he made up for the poll. Yeah, the one that you can really feel the choices, all the choices kind of do get laid out. Right, yeah. Um, 
So 47% of the people voted to stay inside the Iron Circle. 33% voted to lob a salt bomb out into the corridor. And 20% voted to throw the door wide open. So the trio stays inside the Iron Circle, which I think is great because mm-hmm. it gives the opportunity for this really just creepy, tension-filled moment of them waiting to see what this ghost is going to do. I think this is probably the scariest thing in this story. Yeah. After Lockwood, what do we do? He just says, we sit tight, it's loud, it's scary, but it's not actually attacking us directly. If it comes in the room, that's a different matter. Wait and see. And then, like, flakes of plaster fall from the ceilings, the floor shutters. Like, it's a really intense thing happening all around them but then nothing comes into the library yeah and they even feel like a kind of psychic pressure lift Mm -hmm. and go away as the ghost fog goes away and stuff like that so there's like a good description that's like internal and external i don't know like it was really effective she says like she hadn't even realized she was holding her breath and when i was reading it like i let out a breath so like i always like that kind of thing Uh, And then they do find that the plaque, the Ernest Potts Memorial Library plaque, has two great deep gashes scored diagonally through it. (laughs) Yeah. It says a knife might have done it, or claws, or long, sharp fingernails. There were a lot of possibilities, basically, and none of them were too pleasant. Lucy says, is it just me or something not very happy about this nice new library? (laughs) The first time I read this at this point, I was like, Oh, maybe this is like the ghost of a kid who hates studying (laughs) and and wanted to like murder their teacher or the librarian, or maybe it's a librarian who wants revenge for their library getting like, I don't know. All the possibilities to me ended up feeling more interesting than what we got. I don't know. Um, George does say either that or it doesn't like this Ernest Potts geezer. And uh, Lucy says it took exception to his ridiculous facial hair. I know I did. (laughs) which I just, I love their joking around. Um, So they do feel as much as there was a big thing here that the source must be elsewhere. So George decides to stay and try to research this earnest man. And Lucy and Lockwood move on to research, to check out the classroom with the knife. Classic division of labor for Lockwood and co. Yes. George with the books, Lockwood and Lucy set free to be reckless. Yeah. Oh, on the way there, they check out two kind of storerooms. Like, he does differentiate between them, but one is one kind of storage and one is a different kind of storage. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and they both have big drops in temperature, which shows that there's ghosty stuff in there. Yeah, one's like a janitorial closet and the other one's like a school supply like paper. Yeah, okay. So one is like mops and stuff, and one is, yeah. I don't know, textbooks. Yeah, exactly. So then they head into the classroom, and there is indeed a knife in the desk. And this is <laughs> where we have Lucy say what I think is the most stupid line. Because <laughs> she says, okay. That's not an ordinary knife. That's a dagger. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just. <sighs> Like, he could have gotten the point across by just saying, oh, it looks like an old dagger. Mm-hmm. It feels like it was written in the 30s, you know, for a movie trailer. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you said it. It's very, it's like that's no moon, you right. know, like, but <laughs> stupid. <laughs> There's like film grain on it and be like, yeah. dun, dun, dun. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so 
Lockwood identifies this thing as like a a trench knife from World War One, uh, which is a pretty good eye on Lockwood there for antiquities, which is like a totally a thing. So like trench knives were designed in World War One for like close combat if your trench got invaded by the enemy. And so like this is a weapon of last resort, like a straight double bladed knife that you know, it's like easy to go in and out. Pretty, pretty serious weapon. Then Lockwood is like, okay, I'm going to go check out farther down the corridor just to kind of rule it out as anything because he, he's not expecting to find anything. He's just like, just in case. While you're gone, while I'm gone, Lucy, check out this classroom. Thus leaving Lucy with a choice of what to check out. And this is where I was like, oh, I can feel the listing of things. <laughs> should she touch the knife or should she not? <laughs> And there are like in this edited version of the story that we have that's been like stitched together from the article part. So if you went and read this on The Guardian, you have to read it in the sections that it was laid out in. Right. And they each end with like, and I didn't know what to do or what should I choose? And that line has always been taken out and it's it's been like stitched together more seamlessly. I don't know if it is here, though, because she's like, I stared at the dagger and wondered if I should risk it. Yeah. Anyways, so the choice here was um, touch the dagger, ignore the dagger, and do what Lockwood said and explore the rest of the classroom, or go back along the corridor and properly investigate one of the storerooms. And it's not even a question here. Like, Yeah. <laughs> the huge uh, majority is like 80% touch the dagger, and Lockwood comes in lowest again at 9%. And then 12% is go investigate other places. Obviously, uh, Lucy reaches out and touches the dagger and turns on her senses. It's really, really good stuff. I think where it's the dangerous, you know, thing that we've talked about in the Screaming Staircase where she gets sucked into the experience of the ghost. And we this ghost is more malevolent, malevolent. Yeah, sure. Uh, Then. Annabelle Ward was so like there's a lot of like anger and bad feelings swirling around this dagger and um after she kind of gets pulled into it she's then abruptly pulled out of it by somebody saying her name yeah I'm not sure what's going on here because again this feels like something a ghost shouldn't be able to do but does seem like the ghost is doing it is this ghost saying her name? Is this Lockwood saying her name? I really didn't understand what was happening. It's it's not Lockwood, because when he shows up later, he's just like, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and she says, didn't you just call me? And he's like, no. And I guess the alternative is that she's just like imagining it, but that doesn't seem like Lucy either. I wouldn't say imagining it. Well... Okay, I will say this, as we've said, this ghost does seem a little world, like breaking of the world building. Yeah. Um, But it could just be that he is, that the ghost is in her head because she did form a connection there. And so not so much saying her name, but like she's hearing her name, but he's trying just like, but it's kind of more like ghost lock type of thing. Calling to her. Yeah. yeah. And she interprets that as her name. Yeah, yeah. that's... That's how I can move past that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. 
And then it brings her to the the storage closet, basically the beckoning. And yeah. just before she can, she walks in by herself, uh, Lockwood coughs behind her, and that that actually gets her out of it. What was likely a form of ghost lock. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a. I think that's a good interpretation of it. I think it's the only one that makes any sense because you're right. He should not be able to say her name, but it is creepy. Also, like it's a good. You know, dark school, long hallways, you hear your name down the hallway. Oh, yeah. this Like, is, it's creepy. It's terrible. Yeah. I imagined this with, like, canted angles as the, you know, the camera, like, tilts one way. And the, yeah, exactly. You, like, get the long exposure zoom kind of thing of the hallway looks like it's getting longer and longer. And then there was, like, another kind of cinematic moment that was, like, easy for me to picture here when Lockwood walks up on her and it says i whirled around shown my flashlight up lockwood stood there calm unflustered one eyebrow elegantly raised loose what are you doing i thought i told you to stay in the classroom and i can just see ruby and cameron yeah doing that like absolutely in my mind yeah um so after lockwood is like well i think you were kind of taken in by the ghost maybe we should go check on george (laughs) yeah and at that moment they hear a loud oh, shrill. Right. Yes, George oh. screams. That's what it is. Unmistakable George-like scream resounded down the corridor from the library. Oh, you know, I read this book twice this morning, and I really thought they just chose to go look. Anyways. Uh, so, yeah, they go back to the library. And I really like this bit because it's very, like, Ghostbusters reminiscent. Oh, I thought the same thing. Yeah. The library is a huge mess. Books end up flying everywhere. It's it's very like that that opening scene of Ghostbusters, which is creepy, but it's never too creepy. But did always bother me when I was a kid because I was like, oh, somebody's gonna have to clean all that up. <laughs> I do like that Lockwood takes the opportunity to be uh, sarcastic. Or it's like, I know you're an avid reader, George, but this is a bit messy even for you. And then that turns out poorly for Lockwood because he gets clocked in the head. Yeah, so I also highlighted this in my comment was Lockwood's got jokes, but Ghost had books. <laughs> so yeah, uh, there's a big mess of books. Lockwood has a sarcastic moment and then books just start flying once right into Lockwood's temple. So he collapses. Yeah. And so now he's knocked out and George is like, oh, no, what do we do? And Lucy is like, has a choice to make. She says, I looked desperately around the room, the violence of the attack escalating, more and more objects were beginning to move. What should I do? (coughs) And so you get a choice here of drag Lockwood inside the chains, try to smash the bust of Ernest Potts, like fuck Isaac Asimov, or scatter salt (laughs) across the room. I really wish... We had seen what happened if she tried to smash the bust of Ernest Potts. How could you not vote for that? Because it seems so much like, like, why would he put that as a choice? And also, but like knowing what the source actually is, like, you know that it's nothing. So what would have happened? Right. Like, would it have shown the ghost that you're on his side? You too hate Ernest. (laughs) (laughs) Or. Yeah, he would have been like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're we're friends now. We're cool. Um, but yeah, no, everybody voted to drag Lockwood inside the chains. Yeah. Which I think is great. 
Oh, yeah, it's like 60% that and 26% smash Ernest Potts and 14% scatter salt across the room. Which that's that's a fair enough vote. I think that was the most boring option. Yeah. And at this point, George gets to tell them about his research mm-hmm. and that he found out about a guy named Harold Roach. Great name. Great name. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, you know, in the First World War, had his arm chopped off or shot off, I guess, which, oh, yeah, that would suck. And used to stalk around the school terrorizing the pupils. Apparently, he always carried an old army knife and he'd wave it at any kid who crossed him, threatening to cut off their ears. <laughs> and didn't get fired. And then, and then Lockwood says, ah, uh, the great British education system made us what we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was speculation that he was stealing from the school funds, but no one could ever prove it. And then the school hired the new headmaster, who was this Ernest fellow, Potts, I think his last name was. Yep. And then he was like, okay, I'm going to get rid of this guy. Yeah. So this is like his enemy in that this guy was like storing up some kind of nest egg, which again, this points to like, probably this is a school for rich kids. Yeah. Because he's like pilfering all kinds of valuable stuff. And this guy gets brought in to stop that from happening. Yeah. So the new headmaster confronts the guy one day and then he just disappears. Harold Roach just disappears. Everybody thought he ran off with the money. But since his ghost is now here, they're like, well, his body probably is too. Right. At this point, they've pretty much solved the mystery of what's happening. Like who the person is, why they did it. They just need to find out where. And Lucy even says, like, maybe he did plan to slip away with the money, but for some reason was prevented from doing so, which is, like, exactly correct. What happened, yeah. I also love this idea that, like, it's not like the building of the new library, like, disturbed his bones or whatever. Mm -hmm. He was just upset that they named the library for Ernest Potts. For his enemy, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which I love. That's great. <laughs> yeah. He's been quiet for almost a hundred years and and he's like, No, I can't I can't stand. I can't stand for this. It <laughs> yeah, cannot have <laughs> It's vendetta. It's not yeah. yeah. It's, it's like... so good. <laughs> and and like we find out later that he actually just sort of accidentally died while trying to get his his stash. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great because I was, it, it's brought up, we talked about it in book one, I think, that almost all ghosts have either been murdered or have done the murdering, murdering, whatever. Um, and this guy's neither. <laughs> he was just vindictive enough to stick around. That's true. Yeah. And yeah, I wanted an answer to that question. And I guess I got one. You just have to be enough of an asshole. Yeah, he's so bitter at this yeah. guy. That's funny because he he is like his own murderer. It's an accident. And it's yeah. even like, a, I don't know, it's a little bit too pat for me anyway of like he he's killed by his own avarice kind of kind of a thing. I was like, oh, OK. Um, yeah, it's a short story. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, so, yeah, then they recap sort of the two storage rooms and how one of them was pretty small and likely has a secret room. All right. So they go and check out the storeroom. The ghost comes back sort of as they're trying to get the 
Oh, there's a great moment with a scary mop. It's a typical George. Although, you know, just before that, George has the moment where, like, Lucy's still freaked out. Lockwood, you may have a concussion. I'll go in first. And that's a great George <laughs> moment. And then immediately undermined by him being terrified of a mop. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It's great. But then I, I like how he handles it, though, because he's like, oh, don't worry, anybody. It's okay, everyone. It's only a mop. Like, he was the one who was the most upset yeah. by it. And then he's like, oh, it's it's okay, guys. I got it. It's a mop. So, yeah, then George and Lockwood are trying to find a lever or a switch to open the door. Oh, no, this is where we have a vote. Uh, so Lucy is hearing the ghost come back. George says, well, we should just take our crowbars to the wall. And Locke says it would be faster. Lockwood says it would be faster to find the lever. Yep. And we even get like a little bit of time pressure because they say like they only have 30 seconds until the ghost gets to them. So it's like urgent. What are we going to do? Uh, and this is the final choice in the story. And it's uh, keep looking for the hidden switch or lever. Attack the paneling with crowbar or throw magnesium flares at the wall, which is Ooh. wild. That's what I would have voted for. <laughs> Just blow it up. Just blow it up. This is, they didn't have any rules. This is what they're good at. This is what they do. <laughs> they burn the school down. That, that would have been, been a cool ending, though. I don't uh, know. But uh, sadly, people voted with Lockwood this time. What the heck? <laughs> That's true. That's true. So 51% to keep looking for a hidden switch or lever. 30% attack the paneling with crowbars. And 19% of my fellow fire enthusiasts said throw their magnesium flares at the wall. But sadly, George and Lockwood keep looking for the lever, and Lucy goes out into the corridor to buy some time. Where she does throw magnesium flares, though. Yeah, but that's like where you're supposed to. It's, it's less fun. It's, like, it's great. Lucy has a really good hero moment here, and I do feel like in a regular book, Lucy would have been the one looking at the doorway. Like, we literally just had that in the Screaming Staircase, right? True. Lucy looking for the doorway, and Locke would be out there distracting the ghost. Um, so I like that we get this reversal here. Yeah, she. it's like a standoff with the ghost. And there's a lot of good, creepy moments mm -hmm. where... And again, he has his knife in this moment. And so I was like, what is what is up with that? I, I was going to have this whole thing about how he's a ghost, right? But he still only has one arm. And that's just an interesting metaphysical thought about whether or not you're reunited with your limbs when you die. But actually, it is never confirmed that I could find in the words whether or not he has one or two arms as a ghost. Yeah, his his body shape is kind of ambiguous the way that yeah. it would be, you know, with a ghost. You can never, the details are like out of the corner of your eye kind of stuff. Yeah, she mentions that she can see the dagger hanging from one hand. Right. But she says nothing about the other arm. And I'm like, Ugh, thank you for not answering that question, Jonathan Stroud. <laughs> yeah. And we also find out that Lucy has bangs. <laughs> Very because, important. Yeah. The dagger, he throws the dagger at her and it's close enough to make her bangs move across her face. Yeah. But George and uh, Lockwood have a really hard time with this thing. They tear up their hands uh, trying to get the door open. So the three of them need to do it together. They break it down and uh, immediately fall onto a pile of bones. 
Yeah, and uh, Lucy says she kind of like does a bit of a over. What am I trying to say? Like a tumble, like a. What is the word? I have no idea. She's I, anyway. She kind of rolls, is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, like a tuck and roll thing. Yeah, yeah, and she ends up somersault is what I was looking for. There we go. Okay, and and I just have this. That's just hilarious to me that she basically somersaulted over the dead, the body. dead body. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine the crunching. Uh, anyways, it would not be pleasant. And the thing is like covered in cobwebs and stuff, of course, because it's the source. Um, so they pull out the silver net and get it over the body and they're good. They're done. And they find the it's like literally like a treasure chest or something, right? Like it's. Yeah, yeah like a, there's a couple of them. Just there's a chest full of coins, but then there's like paintings and other things in there, too. The guy was like picking up small change all over the school. Like nobody's leaving any notes anywhere. He's like, oh, the lug all this. I'm, I have one hand and I have to lug back. <laughs> no wonder he hated these kids. He's like, carry some notes. I guess he wrote it that way because paper money would have disintegrated. Yeah. And plus <laughs> it falling on your head. You know, paper is oh, like yeah. pretty heavy, but like, I don't know. It's better if it's coins. But yeah, it falls on his head and kills him. And that's how his neck got broken. He was going to get away with it. But Yeah. I, I will say we do have one moment that you mentioned earlier where Lockwood looks at Lucy and is like, you did so well tonight. Made the right decisions at every turn. Yeah. Um, and of course, just going on from what we've been saying in the Screaming Staircase, Lucy does take particular notice of Lockwood's smile there. Oh, yeah. She even blushes and stuff. Yeah. Uh, in the Kindle edition for the for the group, you know, like you can see what other people underline right. that Lucy like smiling and blushing and stuff is underlined by like 200 something people. Yeah. So like it's a Lock Lyle moment for sure. And then, yeah, that's it. They pretty much are pack up and leave. And somehow we talked about that for an hour. Wow. I know. I didn't think story. we would be there. There's like a little extra thing with like nice illustrations of different ghosts. It's kind of like glossary. Thing. I do like that. They, I wish that was in the books. Mm -hmm. But it is infuriating to me because I was like, but which one was he? Yes. Not, yes. He doesn't fit. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's the dagger in the desk. Even the, even that part is part of the article that I'll link to the uh, so you can see all the pictures and stuff. Oh, that's cool. Uh, do you have a best joke? I do love the mop. That's mine too. Yeah. It's really good. It's, it's really good. And I like it. It's one of the, it's one of the few jokes that isn't disparaging in some way to, to Lucy or George. I can just picture like George from the show doing it too. Yeah. Yeah, like exactly. Falling over himself. It works for both Georges. Yeah. So that's great. Um, I didn't really have a punk rock. Yeah. I mean... Lucy throwing dynamite in a school is pretty cool. Oh, that's true. That's true. But it's so normal for them to throw bombs at ghosts that I, I like, didn't really think of it that way. She also has learned nothing from the previous. She's like, magnesium, go. God, I wish they'd thrown it at the walls. Oh, that would have <laughs> been so good. It would have been cool. There would have been like coins would have gone everywhere and like. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Oh. I do also wonder like. Because you said he, you know, he he went with the voting no matter what, even if it's not what he wanted to do. So I'm so curious if, like, what he wanted, if there was anything different. 
I think next time we're going to be talking about the Whispering Skull. Yes, it might be a bit of a break between now and then. (sighs) I'm so excited to be finished moving. I don't know what we're going to be reading from the Whispering Skulls, so I would say just read part one to be safe. Maybe we'll do the whole thing, maybe not. I just don't know at this point. So if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can at Lockwood Podcast, or you can follow me on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. Send your emails to contact at hollowedgroundmedia.com or go to the contact page at hollowedgroundmedia.com slash contact. And remember, mops are terrifying. So, everything's going to be messed up if you end up editing this. Oh, good. Because when you said okay, I was like, all right, I'll hit record on my machine now, and then good. I'll hit record on the um, on Audition, you know, yeah, with your countdown. But yeah. then with your countdown, um, yeah. since you said record at the beginning, I hit it on one, but then you said record at the end, too. So just nothing is in sync. Good. I like that. <laughs> That will be a bitch to uh, sync up. <laughs> do you want to do like a count in case that makes things easier? No, I think this conversation will work. Will work? To, okay, cool. Yeah, cool, to cool, make cool. all that. Before I hung up the blankets, it was real bad in here. It was not going to be a good <laughs> podcast situation. <laughs> I climbed um, into a bathtub. With yeah, exactly. Microphone. Exactly. <laughs> um, Whenever we're recording like this, I hold the book behind the mic, and I'm in front of the mic, obviously. I hit it so much. I wanted to go back in time and slap myself. I'm just like, just stay still. You don't need to be <laughs> passing it back and forth. Anyways, there's some peek behind the curtains for everyone. To me, when I read it, I was like, oh, that's that's uh, St. Simon. And then I heard, uh, heard Jonathan Stroud do it, and I was like, oh, okay. Sounds like a like a monkey but okay. Um, you have to remember like all of our schools here were built in like the 1960s. There's no, there's no secret anything. And have never been updated. Never. Yeah. N- never. They're all falling apart and full of asbestos. <clears throat> it's great. Yeah. I'm sure with editing, this isn't going to be an hour. No. Nah. I spent like 10 minutes trying to find five words. So. <laughs> <laughs>